Oh, have we lost Stephen? Uh oh. I'm sorry. I think we lost Stephen. Uh, am I gone? Oh. Oh, are you back? Hello. Stephen. You can hey. You cut out. Are we back? I think we're. Can back. you hear me? Yes, I'm back. I, I can hear you. Oh, I've seen the frosty crab. <laughs> oh yeah, that's. that's I've actually true. performed <laughs> the frosty crab myself. We were a minute into the podcast, and there's a show title right there. I've performed the Frosty Crab. <laughs> I don't know if that's the title. I, I wouldn't say that. That's we might come up with something better uh, along yeah, the way. Yeah, I'm sure we Yeah, will. I think we will. I don't know whether you saw this week, but I tweeted that I thought that the industry needs a conference event that's kind of focused on creative ideas and on design rather than on, you know, process or workflow or ux or you know technical stuff or you know not even specifically web and then next thing i know i'm just bombarded by people on twitter telling me about this event that you Stephen, you're organizing in amsterdam in bloody november yeah design day spelt wrong design day without the without the vowels well without the first two vowels right couldn't figure that one out <laughs> I don't even know how we came up with that. So, this, People can have a look at it. It's at dsgnday.nl. And uh, you said it's a full-day conference with eight presentations about web design and <clears throat> user experience. And uh, I thought, yeah. bugger, maybe that's the kind of thing that I've just been ranting about on Twitter. And, uh, and there you go. Yeah, well, maybe. It's, it's hard to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but it's... Um, me and PPK and uh, Krein Hoopmer and Martijn van Duren, uh, we organized the Mobilism Conference and CSS Day in Amsterdam. And we're putting this one on as well because we, we thought there was like an, like an overabundance of developer conferences and not really anything for design. And we just wanted something. The whole idea is to have design talks that are, uh, that give you they're, they they can be inspirational, but a lot of design talks are kind of like, uh, you know, just purely inspirational, like go out and make something awesome, you know, but they can be that way, but they have to contain things that you can use like literally the next day in your work. And it has to appeal to uh, design. And we did put user experience in there because a lot of the people that we want to um, – to reach with this conference are people who would normally go to user experience conferences and they would ignore it if you didn't have the word user experience. I think I hate the the term user experience because uh, what does it mean, right? Uh, no one really knows what it means. If you go to a user experience designer, you ask them, what does it mean? They really don't know either. Um, but they just know that they go to UX conferences. So there's a little bit of UX in there um, in that, as far as I'm concerned, Anyone who touches anything that the user uses is um, somehow involved in user experience, right? That's that's exactly how I feel about it. I, I sort of am really uneasy with talking about UX designers as a specific discipline. It's exactly. Like <laughs> they mean like, well, you have the UX researchers, like they're researching everything that's involved with user experience and then... Um, like translating that, I guess, to the different disciplines. But I mean, if you're a visual designer, you're involved in, in the user experience. If you do interaction design, you're involved in the user experience. I don't see really how you can effectively divorce these things from each other. Front end development. Um, 
user experience. Backend development is user experience, right? Yeah. Everything is Copywriter. user experience. Exactly. So that, I think the user experience is pretty much the umbrella term for what we do. And user experience designers would maybe disagree with that. I'm sure they would. I'm sure Andy Bird would be hissing <laughs> if he was listening to this podcast right now. I've actually heard Andy Bud um, or read that he thinks he prefers the term product design as opposed to user experience design. And I might have read it wrong, but that I remember reading a post recently of his where, where he said something to that effect. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but uh, and I think that that's what he understands when people talk about the term user experience in the way that they do. Um, they kind of mean product design, I guess. Um, whereas user experience to me is like a much larger thing. So almost everything we do has, it touches the experience of the user in some way. You know, it's kind of like Don Norman's book. I saw Andy do a talk at Smashing Conference in LA not too long ago. And I'm sure I'm paraphrasing him, but I'm sure that his general kind of premise was that stop calling yourself user experience design when you're actually not, because it is a lot more complicated and detailed. And there's a real kind of, you know, science to all of the stuff, um, you know, and there are actually proper user experience designers that, you know, do all of the things that I claim not to do. So um, I think that that's, he was his general point. It's what kind of brought me to mind, uh, brought him to mind. Yeah. But it's yeah, interesting, exactly. you've kind of answered my question, really, because I was looking at that thinking, hmm, yeah, you've got some interesting speakers lined up, but almost everyone in their profile, they mention UX in some form or another. So that got me thinking, it's like, is this still the, not the type of event that I was talking about? Um, because I really think that there's a need somewhere for an event which focuses not just on kind of, you know, the practical things. I know there's a fine line between something which is, oh, here's a load of practical takeaways about typography and the kind of maybe hand wavy, uh, how great is my portfolio talks that I've seen, at, you know, certain design conferences along the mm -hmm. way. So I do think it's a very, very fine line to draw, but I just think that there's a space somewhere for talking about these, you know, talking about ideas, and talking yeah. about how things on the web fit into other marketing or advertising spaces. And I just, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder where we draw the line between that, between what we're talking about in terms of design and marketing and advertising events, which I don't go to either. I wouldn't say that this event is going into that. I, I do kind of like practical stuff, but I don't, I guess there, I think there's, uh, there are plenty of conferences that people can go to where, it's like, um, check out these new CSS techniques and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of those and I think they're fantastic, but there, there are plenty of those, but what there's, what there's not enough of, at least here is a conference where, uh, I mean, people more working on different aspects of design and it's hard, to, it's hard to talk about this because, you know, design means so many things as well. And front end developers do design in a certain sense, but I mean, not developers, people who are doing visual design, you know, graphic design, um, interaction, uh, stuff like that, that I think there's a place for a conference where you talk about that stuff at 
both an inspirational and a practical level. And I do think it has to be practical because, you know, you're shelling out some money and you're taking a day off work. So you need to have something that you can apply um, or at least something to um, that you choose not to apply because it's giving you something to think about. So we have the the whole idea was to get like a pretty diverse range of speakers where you have in design your different elements of of let's say graphic design where you'd have typography imagery um you know we have copy we have um we have people thinking about uh information structure so i tried to get like everyone into a different facet we don't have all the facets i can't come unfortunately because i'm I think I'm washing my hair that day. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay, I've heard that excuse. Ouch. Before. So if anyone's around Amsterdam um, in November, then come to Design Day. I see that Switzerland has a style guide. It sure does. <laughs> is, is this the first country that you've found that actually has a style guide for the entire nation? Because I was thinking, does it mean they all have to dress the same? <laughs> Because I've been to countries where it's kind of like that. <laughs> That's a joke I say in my in my talks whenever I talk about bootstrap. And Stephen, I know you have your your thoughts on bootstrap, but uh, I, I joke around. I say like, you know, in the future, you know, according to every sci fi movie, you know, everybody just wears jumpsuits. Like they just like they solved fashion. And, and they can all just move on with their lives. It's like, you don't have to worry about getting dressed anymore. <laughs> just, just wear your jumpsuit and, and everything is just fine. But, uh, no, uh, Switzerland. Yeah. So, so I just got a, we just got a pull request this morning, uh, onto the, the styleguides.io website. And, uh, and we had, yeah, these, these pull requests come through, uh, submitting the, uh, submitting the, the Switzerland style guide. I don't think exactly. I, I think that Gov UK actually has their own uh, pattern library and stuff like that. But they do. We, we, yeah. So so I don't think it's it's the it's the first. But at the same time, I mean, like this is it's a, I think just a great example of you know it, an organization, a very large, very diverse organization a country <laughs> with all of these different entities and agencies and all this stuff uh just tons of bureaucracy tons of stuff going on and to sort of establish a common design language to sort of unify all that so that the citizens of said country uh are able to traverse between the different departments and the website you know, you're paying a parking ticket or you're applying for something or, you know, you're registering your dog or whatever, you know, it's like to be able to go, oh, okay, there's, you know, uh, the date picker, you know, like I need to select a date from the calendar and, oh, I've done that on this part of the site and now I'm doing it over here. And if you go to, I mean, most, most government run, you know, websites and stuff, it's like you go from, you know, 2003 design and then you click on the next page and then you're back in 1997 and then you like click again and then it goes back to like 2005 design. <laughs> it's like, it's all over the freaking place. And then each government agency is, is, is different. So I think that, uh, style guys, pattern libraries for countries and government bodies and stuff like that is just a fantastic thing to, to establish. I want to do one for North Korea. <laughs> okay that would be the best now we really digress <laughs> I, I think the color palette would be inspirational <laughs> be simple 
red <laughs> would be gray and, and gray, obviously. Step one, get internet in North Korea. <laughs> Step two, establish pattern library. You never know. You may well get a pull request one day for the North Korean style guide. I hope that means that their quality of life has gone way up and they're, they're focusing on things like that. So, I wasn't actually thinking that the North Koreans themselves would do it. I thought that some joker might actually do that for you. Because <laughs> heaven, heaven forbid human progress actually happens in that no. country. trying to instigate stuff. No, do they have plenty more problems to solve before they get to style guides? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. By the way, um, we were talking about the Swiss one, but the Dutch um, government has had a style guide for like many years, and I think probably about eight years now. Um, it's, I'm not saying I like it, I'm not saying it's the best one, but, uh, they have one. Well, I think, I think, again, I think that that's fantastic. I think, uh, it's just, it's such a commonsensical sort of thing to undertake. And, and it's not to say it needs to be like ruled with an iron fist or whatever, but you just, whenever you and I've talked to, you know, the, the U S government and stuff about sort of their own stuff. It's like you, you're talking about just tons and tons of people, tons and tons of, of different implementations of a design system that, that, you know, could just save everyone so much time. Here's my rant. And this happened with responsive design. This, ha this is happening with, with, with style guides and pattern libraries and stuff. They go, we would like to do this. We would like to, to, to go responsive, but we're, an e-commerce website. And so responsive design doesn't work for us or, or, but you know, we're, we're a government agency and we have all these unique, uh, uh, sort of, you know, different sort of flows and different sort of things. So, uh, establishing a pattern library wouldn't work for us. It's uh, at some point in time, people become, you know, people in XYZ industry, right? It's just, uh, uh, intranets, uh, enterprise, uh, e-commerce, government, uh, you know, you name it, B2B, whatever you want to call it. Uh, people tangle the two things together. They basically aren't able to detach, you know, user interface design and development from like the, the, the industry that they work in, right? Like, at, but at the end of the day, whether you're making a response to site or you're making a pattern library, it's like you're making a user interface and that, Whatever, what you put into that user interface, yes, is industry specific, but the user interface itself is, is like this, this agnostic, right? Industry agnostic thing, right? And I, I, that's always frustrated me, you know, in the years that I've been talking about responsive design and now pattern libraries is like, oh yeah, but like you don't understand, like the government agency I work for, you know, just has all of this crazy stuff. And so we can never do this. And it's like, well, no, you're making, you're making a design. You're making a shell for that, like, content to live. And yes, that shell should serve the content well. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It, it just really bums me out a little bit because I think a lot of people shy away from doing best practices because they think that their, their industry, oh, but like my job's hard. So, so therefore, like, none of these best practices apply to me. Do they really think their jobs are hard or do they, uh, would they like to think their jobs are hard because it kind of justifies? Um, that's it. That's exactly it. I mean, I've I've had people, you know, I've had people in my workshops and stuff come up to me and and 
tell me I'm wrong and to say, you know, like, I'm, I'm special. I, you just don't understand. This is impossible to do because my job is really, really hard and my industry is really hard and it's totally different than, you know, and, and it, you know, the cascade happened, right? It's like, oh yeah, responsive design only works for some, personal person's blog and then eventually yeah. you know an e-commerce website came out and it's like well now it only works for blogs and e-commerce sites and then like so, you know and then a big like news publication come out oh it only works for news sites e-commerce and and publications <laughs> only static sites and then some crazy app comes out and that's fully responsive and they're like well it only works for this kind of app and and, and it's just like get over yourself you know what i mean like just yeah. just suck it up and and again like People, I, I do, I think that they're playing like the pity card or something, but, but also, you know, they're just, you know, that's their water, you know, their water is, you know, making mortgage web applications or, or, or whatever and stuff like that. And so it's hard for them to sort of decouple the world that they live in with like the, the broader world of just like design, like as, as like an agnostic sort of entity. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of hard too, because if you're in a big organization, with it, you know, a huge site that's not responsive yet. It's not like you could just go in there and make it responsive, right. you know, and then say, uh, super me and then go home. <laughs> right. I, it, I mean, it's just so hard to get stuff happening in that kind of an organization. I'm just reminded of life of Brian. It's like, what did the Romans ever do for us? <laughs> <laughs> but the roads. It's just, sometimes I, I just wonder, I've had the same thing in workshops where people say, no, we can't do this because, you know, we've designed something a certain way and therefore what you're talking about just isn't going to work. And I'm thinking, what I'm talking about is not rocket science. Right. Um, it may be hard to do, but it's likely hard to do because of decisions that you've made previously. And, you know, you've designed your system to be a certain way. And therefore that's, you know, you've, for whatever reason, you've decided to make it hard. And, but it doesn't mean to say that it has to carry on being hard. There are forks in the road and, you know, potentially this is one of them. Right. Right. And, and in an ever evolving medium like the web, you know, that saying, pain, painting yourself into a corner and then throwing up your hands and going, oh, well, <laughs> You know, just it just yeah. seems so. I, I, it blows my mind, and it, and this happens more often than you'd think. But I mean, like, I think that this is a good segue, like, into you know dealing with complexity and like people incur all of this debt. They you know use these frameworks and subscribe to these specific things, and or or you know bought into some joker vendor's system because you know their sales team was really good or whatever and then all of a sudden they're they're sitting there with handcuffs on going oh uh, i would have you know i would like to do these best practices or they they try to do the thing like i just said which is you know convince themselves that because of their decisions that that the ideas, the, the, the new evolving best practices are, are somehow wrong <laughs> because they can't do them. <laughs> it's like, I would like to point out at this stage that none of my clients exhibit any of the aforementioned personality traits. <laughs> oh, okay. So then uh, you're the only one who doesn't have clients like that. <laughs> no, I don't. Of course I don't. All of my clients are absolutely wonderful, forward thinking, and totally open to new ideas. I think that there's some truth to that, to be honest. I think that, you know, people that are, that are working with you or, or with you, Stephen, uh, or with other people, you know, like a lot of like this, this smaller agencies and stuff here, like, you know, even over here in the States and stuff, like people that are working with Cloud4 or Sparkbox or Paravel, like these are people that, you know, 
this isn't just like a cold call, like, hey, build me a website. You know, these are people that, you know, in, in Dan Mall's agency and stuff like that, these are people that are sought out because they're, they're, they're saying some really smart things and doing a lot of really good work. And so I actually would probably say that, you know, even though, yeah, no, no client's perfect or whatever, but like, you know, if they're working with you <laughs> or any of these other agencies I mentioned, like they're, they're already, you know, well ahead of the curve, I think, uh, compared to a lot of places. They might not know who they're working with or, or why they're not in the industry. Uh, you know what I mean? So they might have heard of you. Yeah, but there's, um, there's usually like a taste of it, I think. You know, like what I'm saying is, you know, once you get to, to a certain level, I think, uh, you know, people start seeking you out because, you know, they, yeah, they happened upon an article or, or one of the designers on their team or developers on their team, like stumbled upon something you had said or, or, or written about yeah, that's, or whatever. That's, so. you're talking about yourself. This no, is your I'm not, level. I'm not, I'm no. not. We <laughs> no, talked I'm about kidding. this last no. week, actually. I'm Dan kidding, Moore was saying that, you know, the, a good amount of the work that he does comes from referrals and it's people, even other developers that, you know, think, ah, we need to bring yeah. a designer in. Who can I think of? Ah, yeah, Dan Moore's a, a great guy to bring in. And, you know, we've just been, we're finishing off now, but we've been working on a really great project with a hospital trust based down in London. And we got the gig because the developers on the team kind of remembered my name from some dusty distant past. <laughs> I don't know, probably, probably they moved a pile of junk on the desk and there was a copy of hardboiled propping up a monitor and they thought, Oh, he might still be alive. Let's see whether, you know, <laughs> he's available. You know, yeah. there's nobody else we can find at yeah. five past five on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> Let's give Andy a call. And that's how we got the job. That's great. Yeah. Before we go any further, start talking about complexity and other stuff. I suppose what I should do is I should formally introduce you two to both of our listeners. <laughs> I said both yeah, of our listeners good. there. I should have yeah, said yeah. introduce you both. One of them's my both. mom, so she knows me. <laughs> my mom, my mom's probably going to tune in. Sure, yeah. So that's that's both of them. Okay, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Mom and mom. Hi, moms. Are you ready? Because this is the start of the official bit. This this is the part you'd hear if this podcast was as good as something on the BBC. <laughs> <clears throat> Welcome back to Unfinished Business. Joining me, your host, Andy Clark, this week are art director, designer, and famous generalist, the author of Responsive Web Design Workflow, Stephen Hay. Hello. Hello. And, he says, raising the levels of enthusiasm somewhat, all the way from Pittsburgh, the man behind too many projects to mention, so I'm not going to mention any of them, Brad Frost. Thanks for having me. How was that? That was fantastic. That That's was really the, good. Wow. I'm actually thinking about retiring and taking on a job as a, I don't know what you call them. What do you call the people that do links between announcers? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Announcers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, MCs or... Yeah, I'm all washed up now. Oh, man. Well, do another one about age and then um, and then invite me back on. <laughs> well, well, what we should do, talk, talking about age in, in relation to that... Getting fond of certain inanimate objects and, you know, liking them so much that you never want to let them go. I just want to mention... What, what kind of podcast is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's no. going on, man? Jeez. I want to mention a little bit of follow-up from last week, because I mentioned to Dan Edwards and Dan Moore last week that I'd lost my favorite mug. You know, my insulated coffee mug? That, and I was really, really sad about that. Really sad. So, 
I also mentioned that I'm not going to do paid sponsor spots on the show anymore because instead what I want to do is I want to briefly talk about something that I like and then maybe if there's an affiliate code, I can link to that. And, you know, this week I want to talk about my mug because I got really sad. I lost my mug. I left my mug on a train. There was no reason to do that. I packed my everything up and I got my bag and all my stuff and I packed it all away on the train. I had my mug there and I just picked everything up except the mug, got off the train and thought, shit, there's my mug. And as it was going away into the distance... So I really missed my mugs. I had to buy another one of these mugs because I'm like that. I just couldn't let this mug go. So I just thought I'd talk about that for a minute, if that's okay. Um, go ahead. My mug. I know. It's a strange <laughs> thing. But, you know, it's a strange thing to talk about mugs. But I tell you what, I bet you're both sitting there with a mug of some sort on your desk. No. Oh, God. Am I the only one? <laughs> you have. You do know the things they call mugs, though, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite one? Yes. Uh, I have I have one that we got from my brother as a Christmas gift that has uh, pictures of me and my dog plastered all over it. There you see. Yep. There's your favorite mug. Yep. And Stephen's just weird because he doesn't have a favorite mug. But well, I yeah, I've got a couple that I like. Okay, but you know, I guess I'm not as into the inanimate object thing. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> But oh, I should explain, first of all, that this is this thing that I'm going to talk about is a Bodum, B-O-D-U-M, vacuum travel mug. You don't get podcasts talking about mugs. You really should. And although this is this like product placement, it's kind this like of a yeah. hidden ad like Bodum, because those are actually really, really good. That's a good brand in general. Like this is everything. a little bit like James Bond talking about mugs in the middle of uh, Spectre. This is supposed to be a travel mug, because that's what it says in the name. But, to be honest, I don't travel that much anymore. And I just use this thing, not just for traveling, but like all day, every day. And I use it at home, and I use it at work. And it's an insulated stainless steel mug. And it comes, it's brilliant. It comes with two lids. You get looks like a regular sipping lid, standard one. And then you also get, if you buy it in the right kit, a French press, I think you call them in America. Or we call, might call them cafetier. You know, they're like with the plunger in the top? Yep. And that means that you can use the thing with ground coffee. And it's brilliant because it means that you can make a nice cup of coffee inside this kind of insulated stainless steel mug. And it keeps it hot for hours. It's brilliant. So there are some attributes that I like, I value most in a mug. It's got to be really well insulated. And it's got to keep a cup of coffee hot for hours. Because you know what it's like? You know, you make yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And then... You get distracted, all the phone rings, or you get into some code or whatever, and then the next time you go to drink your cup of coffee, it's cold. hate that. So I care about that, and this Bowden mug keeps a cup of coffee hot for about four hours, which is brilliant. And I care about the depth of the lid as well, um, because, you know, too deep a lid, and you just find drinking a bit uncomfortable. And then I like the weight as well. It has to weigh enough to keep it stable when it's on the desk all day. And that kind of protects it against spills. But it can't be too heavy that you don't want to carry it everywhere, which is what I do. And this Bowden mug is brilliant because it scores highly in all of those areas. This is a bit kind of inside baseball about mugs, but I actually get really fond of this mug. I'm, I'm sold. This is a really good looking mug. I'm sold. It's a really good looking mug. You know, it's got stainless steel and it's got this slip proof silicon band around it, which looks really, really good. And the band has got some raised writing, which gives it some texture, helps it to grip. And the only thing that I don't like about this mug is embossed in this silicon band are the words, the fresh way to brew fresh coffee and tea. 
Oh, they ruined it. They and I just, yeah, exactly. The two freshers. I'm looking at this always, right always now. Always, always annoyed me. Yeah. Mm. Just leaves a slightly better taste. Post the link because uh, our moms will be interested. Yeah. I'm going to put a link to this <laughs> in the show notes. So we'll anyway, this Bowden mug keeps a cup of coffee hot for uh, about four hours, far longer than a non-insulated cup. And it's got a lid that screws in place. And although the seal is really tight and it's catched, the covers the drinking hole it doesn't make it uh, leak proof but it has it has saved me and the desk and the cast carpet from the worst of spills several times when i've knocked the damn thing over and this french bread lid it's ideal for making cups of ground coffee because you know I, I don't drink instant coffee anymore i just can't go back i just put like the best coffee that i can find in this mug and it's absolutely brilliant and i just really really love this mug and yeah, I don't just use it when I'm traveling. I use it all day, every day, and they come in black and off-white and lime green and purple and red, and there are loads of places that you can buy them online. But if you want one and you'd like to support the show, consider ordering one on Amazon through the affiliate link that I'll put in the show notes, and that's at unfinished.bz. And that's my favorite mug. I, I'm confused, though. Like, but do you like this mug? I love this <laughs> mug. Okay. All right. I'm just yeah, just to, making sure. I'm just just to be just sure because sure. We're, it, you weren't really clear about whether you liked it. <laughs> it's you know. I had a sleepless night when I the, the night after I left this mug on a train. Tears on your pillow. So much so that the next thing, the next, the first thing I did the following day was to order another one from Amazon. But does it keep the coffee hot <laughs> for a long period of time? That's that's what we really want to know. You are such bastards. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I just think like you, you get onto podcasts, and nothing wrong with with podcast sponsorships because we've done them in the past. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong. I know that a lot of people can, you know, they they fund the podcast through sponsorships, and that's never been something that you know it's never been the main driver behind this. And you know, to be honest, I just I don't want to talk about Squarespace. You know, love them, brilliant. Don't want to talk about them. You know, I just want to talk about things that actually I really like and I can recommend. So, you know, we'll talk about mugs and we'll talk about iPhone sleeves and we'll talk about, you know, whatever. And that's what we're going to do. Okay. So that's why I sound enthusiastic about this thing, because I'm not doing a sponsor read. I actually do love my mug. Don't know where we go from there. <laughs> I think we just have a moment of yeah, silence. Yeah. It's a great mug. Order one. Trust me, you're not going to be let down. I'm not a coffee connoisseur, uh, but I'm a coffee mug connoisseur. Oh, there we go. Now, just uh, be just be careful. The, the one that you've pasted in the show notes, by the way, just be careful. There are several different versions of this Bowdoin mug, and only one of them has the kit with the French press in the top. Mm. You don't want the, just the one without it. You need the one with the French press. If I may. <laughs> Simplicity and complexity in design, right? We're talking coffee mugs here. We're talking utility. You've ta- you're, you're talking about these sort of simple features. Uh, what do you want a mug to do? Well, keep you want to you want to keep your coffee hot, right? It's a pretty simple feature, but at the you know it's an invisible feature, but at the same time, it's something that, and I will say, a lot of things fail at, right? A lot of mugs fail at this this simple task, right? So. But then you get like a bunch of other crazy stuff on top of it. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sold on the whole like French press thing. I feel like that might be overcomplicating it because I got my own little, you know, I got my little coffee brewer. I just need something to pour the pour the coffee into. This is a needless feature. 
It really isn't a needless feature. Do you want me to talk about this mug for the next 20 no, minutes? Because I, I could do that. I want to talk about really sit, Brad, simple, Brad, Brad, minimum Brad, viable stop, products. Stop, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it don't go there mm. please Let, mm. let's get on to this simplicity thing because i tell you what last try to segue <laughs> it's a brilliant segue it's not a segue if andy talks about a mug for another 20 minutes <laughs> all, right. all right fair enough <laughs> last episode the dans and i we were talking about working on designing our own websites and how bloody difficult it is and yeah you know, i really had enjoyed that conversation you know, i learned a lot and i've had several people saying that they liked the show last week and as i mentioned then i've been designing redesigning the stuff and nonsense website recently over the last few weeks and in fact i'm not just redesigning it i'm redeveloping all the html and all of the css and writing content and, and everything else and you know what all the things that the three of us generally talk about, you know, designing in a browser and not making comps, not making static visuals and using atomic design or pattern library approaches or SAS or Grunt or React or whatever the latest toys are. Do you know what? I haven't used any of them. Not one. You know, I went back to just making up some visuals in Sketch. You know, I actually made whole page comps of pretty much every page on the site. And... I'm back to writing plain old CSS like I've done for years. And I'm not using a library. I'm not on the command line. None of that. And you know what? It's absolutely glorious. It just feels so good. And, you know, I know I've mentioned in the past, we've been talking about this for a while. And, you know, I wrote something about Hammer for Mac versus command line tools. That springs to mind. Brad, I think you mentioned that earlier on, this post that I wrote. I'll put a link in the show notes. But, you know, I'm just beginning to think that people are overcomplicating things just for the sake of being complicated. Absolutely. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, I think that kind of ties into what we were talking about before where um, – Was it mugs? <laughs> no, not mugs. <laughs> no, it wasn't mugs. It was, um, you know, how people uh, complicate things in their own work to make themselves feel more important in the, in the whole process. And sometimes people will do it. Um, I read an interesting post by Zed Shaw, uh, recently where he was talking about these kind of toxic people in organizations who will actually make sure that they're the only one who knows how to do something so that the whole organization is dependent upon them. And they do that by adding a bunch of complexity that no one else understands. And I think I'm not saying that's the the reason that most people do it, I think the the reason most people add complexity is because they add one thing and then they add one other thing because that'll help them and they do it again and do it again and they don't realize they're adding all this stuff and it's stuff that I call design baggage and suddenly um, they look back upon it and it's this huge amount of stuff right. that they've it's our, added. It's a rat's nest, you know? yeah. And in the, you know, in yeah. like the, the development world, it's like technical debt, you know? And and the, the, the whole command line thing, this, oh, just NPM, blah, blah, blah. And then you type in this command and you hit the go button and then for the next half hour, it pulls down all of these dependencies. Yeah. You, it, it sort of you yeah. sweeps those under the rug. They're there. And it's like, oh, this tool is so easy. And and whenever you actually look under the hood, there's there's like seventeen other dependencies in there. It's like right. you know, and that and that's dangerous because all of a sudden now you have you know seventeen, you know, things that could potentially 
break all of your stuff or, 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 you know, prevent a, uh, you know, a junior designer that just got brought on to a project, it prevents them from actually contributing to the project in an effective way. And like, especially whenever you start working in a team environment and, and Andy, I know like you're saying, you know, working on your own site, is this very freeing thing to sort of go back to basics. And, and, and I totally appreciate that and stuff, but like, uh, I, I do, I feel like once people get into like a team environment, you know, those decisions on what technologies you adopt, what, what, what tools you're using and stuff like that, can make or break your projects, you know, because it's like, it might be totally crystal clear and, and the, the senior developer or like the technical director or the, the main designer might love, you know, love a certain tool and, you know, it's their pet project or whatever. And then you work in the context of a, of a team. And if the rest of the team isn't up to snuff with all of that stuff or doesn't really understand it or, or don't actually think it's useful or whatever. That's, that's dangerous stuff there, you know? And I just feel like we had, we're just swimming in options and stuff. And I think that there's more room for people to sort of knee jerk, adopt different tools just because it's hot or popular. It has a bunch of stars on GitHub or whatever. Uh, and, when it actually isn't the right tool that that they need in order to do their job. Yeah, and I I want to say something really quick, um, if I may, about command line because as soon as people start talking about uh, getting back to simplicity, a lot of people uh, get down on the command line. But just to be totally clear, the command line itself is not the problem. The command line is basically a textual interface. Oh, sure. Uh, we have the graphical interface and a textual interface. So the, the textual interface itself is not the problem. Just like you have a bunch of graphical tools that suck, you have a bunch of textual tools that suck. So there's actually um, a lot of thought that goes into the design of text-based you know, command line tools. So a lot of these tools are not well designed. And if you look at a lot of the more traditional uh, Unix tools, they're kind of elegant in their simplicity because the, the whole idea of the Unix command line tools is do one thing and do it well, and you can you can um, chain these tools together to do certain things. But it was pretty clear usually what these tools do in general because it's such a small thing that they do. So you kind of know what you're doing, and when you chain two of these tools together, you know what both of them do, and you know what you know, taking the output of one and putting into the other will do. The command line interface is super powerful. It's not for everyone. It's more of like a personal preference thing. But just like we have bad graphical apps, we have bad text apps. And I think that that's what um, turns a lot of people off from the command line, um, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of really, really good text-based uh, apps out there. Um, Here's so, the thing. HTML is simple. Yes. I mean, ridiculously simple. Yes. We can teach anybody from any background, whether they happen to be, you know, a builder or a plumber or a solicitor or whatever. We can teach anybody how to write HTML. CSS is simple too, or at least it should be. And okay, sometimes you stumble over nth of type selectors or mm -hmm. the syntax for a certain property might be confusing. It takes you a while to get the flow of being able to write a CSS transition without thinking about it. Yeah. Or the concept behind certain parts of CSS, <clears throat> for example, like a Flexbox, that 
can sometimes be difficult. But the actual writing of CSS itself is actually quite simple. And that meant that years ago, people who were non-technical, people like me, could write CSS. And we did very well for 10 years without any of this kind of meta baggage applied. And designers, Doug Bowman, me, Dan Cederholm, let's say Andy Budd, um, and a bunch of other people who were not from a computer science background or from a development background. We wrote a lot of great CSS, you know, and we wrote it very easily. Um, and I wonder whether or not a lot of the complexity that we're now kind of wrestling with has gone hand in hand with developers and programmers taking over CSS. You know, it used to be written by web designers, and now we've got front-end engineers. Well, I think it's just a name, by the way. Right, right, <laughs> I mean, if right. you compare, like, an engineer, you know, we're not building bridges, right? right. Um, so I, I, even, you know, the best engineer, um, the best front-end engineer, with all respect for what they do, um, it's not what I really think about when I think about uh, engineering right. in, in the sense, I think that the people, like the people at CERN, I think it was Jeremy who said that at CERN when he was there, um, you know, a lot of the scientists there, the real engineers, you know, they're, um, they kind of laughed about the web. They're like, oh yeah, that little toy. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? So it's just like, uh, oh, well, you know, th- th- we can write a web server in a day or I don't know that it's, Maybe it's I'm kind of self-importance. Well, I think it's like a lot of people trying to make themselves uh, more important. Right. And I think that programmers love their programming stuff and they want to inject it into whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. I wonder whether people look at CSS and go, do you know what? That's too simple. We need to, um, or, you know, it's too much of a ball ache to write three lines. Let's write a mix in that only makes, you know, you only have to write one. Right. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. the thing right. that goes into right. it. Right. And so, so I still see this trajectory. <clears throat> so JavaScript once upon a time was, was like a laughing stock and it's now evolved into what would we'd call like a first class citizen. Like it's, you know, like it's a real programming language now and people write real stuff in it. Uh, and so as a result of that, because it's matured, that whole computer science world that uh, like you, what you were talking about, Andy, where it's like, yeah, once upon a time, we were sort of shielded from that on like the, the, the design HTML, CSS sort of side of that. Uh, and now all of a sudden JavaScript has sort of opened the door to a lot of people with computer science backgrounds to sort of come into the web world with their, you know, with their perspectives, with their, with their backgrounds and, you know, sort of writing things in, you know, in these programming languages that were these like real, like runtime, whatever. And now they're applying that same stuff to, to, first JavaScript and then it's like, yeah, like let's like bleed over into CSS and then bleed over into HTML and then it's just like, just make everything JavaScript now, you know? <laughs> it's it's just it, it and and I do think that there is something uh I'm gonna be delicate with my words here. There's a lot that could be learned from these computer science principles that have been around forever, right? Like Steven, you were just talking about like the single responsibility principle. That's a great computer science principle that's been around, you know, predates the web by a long shot, right? The notion of object oriented programming. Yeah. That's great. And like, you know, we should be, you know, adopting that stuff. But at the same time, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, misconceptions about what the web is and what it does and how it all works at a very fundamental level 
that is dangerous to sort of have people coming in from a, a Java world or some, you know, some other like, you know, sort of traditional programming language and just go, I don't understand why it's not like Java. So like, let's just rearrange everything and make, make things it like, Java. make it like Java or, or whatever. So exactly. That's dangerous. And to see that, the the things like you were talking about, Andy, HTML w- was simple. It still is simple. Mm-hmm. CSS um, was simple. It's not quite as simple, but those things were simple in the in the same way that uh, the game of chess is simple. Yep. Right. Um, you it's it is simple, and you could sit down and within a very short amount of time, anyone can play a game of chess. Whether they can play it well, um, whether they study the game for years and years and um, figure out all these openings and counter, um, you know, counter tactics to certain openings or whatever, that's at a different level. And so I think that when tools work that way, they're not a problem. The problem is a lot of it is opinionated. Like Brad, you mentioned uh, object-oriented programming. Uh, a lot of people just like take it for granted that object orientation is like the way to program but there are a lot of programmers who don't think that object-oriented programming is the way to program at all. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opinion, op- opinionated people. And when you make tools that are v- as opinionated as their authors, um, you know, you're going to get um, fanboys or fan people <laughs> who, uh, you know, gravitate to that thing and who will, like, adamantly defend this thing Um so just go out and try to like say something bad. I dare you right now to tweet something bad about like Ember JS. Right. Um, and then I'll, I'll get some popcorn and watch what happens because <laughs> it's like, re- you know, and it, I'm, I'm not picking on Ember, but any, no, any of no, these you're, you're uh, totally frameworks it. or anything, you know, I'm just, um, uh, naming one, but because people like the way uh, they want to work in a certain way and they want a tool that works the, the way that they like to work. And it's just like some people like Sketch, some people like Photoshop. Um, yeah. Uh, you're, you know, some people like Sublime Text. So um, it's almost like the editor wars, you know, that we sure. had between Vim and Emacs. And that's the kind of thing that's happened once the... <laughs> Once the computer science people got involved in, like, making the web. Yeah. I think that, you know, in all fairness to computer science people, because you kind of pointed the finger a little bit and said, you know, oh, take your filthy paws off, take your stinking paws off my CSS. No, no, yeah. No, no, But I think that one thing, anything in all fairness, I mean, when, I I wonder whether or not this kind of complication in some respects is necessary because, you know, the sites that we're building or designing for, have become bigger and more complex over the years. And I've learned that. I've been working on some larger projects over the last few years, and my approach to writing CSS has pretty fundamentally changed, you know, particularly in the way that I, you know, used to try to keep classes and IDs out of the markup altogether, and there's a whole ton of, you know, a whole stack of descendant selectors that I would... I would take every route possible to get to style an element without putting something in the HTML. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm a little bit more pragmatic about that. Mm-hmm. And I'll do things like, you know, a class of box header on a box, mm-hmm. you know, with the usual kind of BEM syntax that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether or not it is to do with scale and whether or not the, the, the larger things that, that we've been building get 
the more kind of almost necessary complexity comes into it. I'm sure that that's something that Harry Roberts would say. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be. Coming back to what Stephen said, like that chess analogy, I think is just like dead on. It's like what we're talking about and sort of why I've been, you know, so immersed in, you know, sort of modular sort of thinking and, and sort of stuff like that is because, you know, here what we want to do is build really complex things out of, out of sort of relatively simple components or, or whatever. It's like do, do a lot, do a lot of complex stuff with actually what, what ends up being a really sort of, uh, you know, sort of basic set of tools. Um, and I think that that is totally possible to do without having to subscribe to a bunch of needless complexity, a bunch of tools, a bunch of whatever. But just like the, the, the idea of like an include, uh, which is like a lot of what I end up talking about. It's like, well, you just include this pattern inside this other pattern and that's included inside another pattern. And now all of a sudden, if you make a change to one thing, you know, it propagates out to, to all the instances of that particular pattern. And the same thing, what you were saying, Andy, with like, you know, just writing some like really modular sort of CSS stuff, right? That, that, Yes, does bloat up the HTML mildly or whatever, but just with a couple simple rules, like like Stephen was saying, like simple like chess. Now all of a sudden, you could build these really complex things just by applying, you know, just a little bit of complexity. But you get, you know, like you, you, it's certainly a little more complex to write sort of like BEM syntax stuff than it is to write like just plain old semantic HTML and CSS or whatever. But at the same time, you do get like these huge gains from it. And so that, that's, I think my big thing is like, how do we, how do we, um, apply complexity in a tasteful, deliberate, way uh, introduce a little bit of complexity into our workflows into our projects or whatever and then get and then get a ton of stuff out of it right what i don't like is whenever people introduce complexity and more complexity and then complexity on top of that and then we end up with like this total rat's nest this big monolithic chaotic thing that you know is we painted ourselves into a corner I really worry on a couple of levels. I worry that new people, people that are new to writing HTML and CSS would be overwhelmed by the choice and by the complexity. Um, and which tool do I choose? And actually, you know, you can do anything that you want to do in a copy of text edit. You know, that's all you need. You know, you really only do a tech, you really only need a text editor. And I worry about that. My, my brother, who is a weatherman by trade, is sitting beside me right now <laughs> learning the basics of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And and so he has been a web designer now for two weeks. <laughs> he just started working for me. And 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 we, you know, we we started out with just like, right, let's go through and Code Academy is fantastic. They're they're like web fundamentals uh, course is really fantastic for learning the basics of HTML and CSS, and you go through that, and then he's gone through the the, the JavaScript course and stuff now, and it's like, and that's what I say to everybody because I get I got emails from from tons of people, university students, people just starting out or whatever. They're like. How, where the hell do I start? You know, how do I do this? There's like so much stuff out there. I'm so confused. And, and it's, and it's, it's almost like a little charming to, to hear people. So they're like, I want to use WordPress, but you have this whole atomic design thing. And should I use that instead? And it's like, you know, it's just, they're being 
fire hosed in the face with all of the all of these words and yeah. buzzwords, <laughs> and they're like they don't even know like you know their you know their head from their feet or whatever. So it's like so it's like start with the basics, start with that basic like sort of foundational stuff, do the stuff in text edit, and then like start recognizing like wherever you start. Where, where you start feeling some pain, right? It's like, oh, I'm writing this thing again and again. What if there, you know, maybe there's a tool that allows me to like not have to write that same thing again and again. Right. And the, the problem with that, I think, is um, I gave a talk at CSS Day uh, recently um, on my trend of talks the past year has been about simplicity. And this was about like CSS and beginners who come into CSS and they're just blown away, as you say, fire-hosed with all this stuff. But the problem becomes, you say start with the basics, but how do they know what the basics are, right? Because there are actually some, you mentioned Codecademy, which is, which is fine because you know that Codecademy is good according to you. And right? I'm sitting there um, right next to You know to that it's yeah, good. Yeah. Right. But if you just went on the web, you've got Codecademy, but you've got like hundreds of others. W3 and schools. you might get one that... <laughs> Well, yeah, which is luckily uh, slightly better than it used to right, be, I right. guess, but <clears throat> after all the criticism, but um, there are actually like Codecademy type um, thing, courses and stuff that will literally teach people Angular as one of the basic things you need to know to become a full stack developer, mm -hmm. or as Chris Heilman uh, puts it, the full stack overflow developer. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know... Um, how do, if you're just starting out, you don't know that Angular is just, um, I say just, but just a framework, one of many that might be particularly suited to a certain type of task. Um, but maybe not your task. And for that, you might need Ember or, or Backbone or whatever. I don't or even, none of I the don't above. even know what half of right. these things Or none do. of the above. Or none of the above. Uh, above. And, and a lot of the, uh, a lot of these people might think that those are like basic building yeah, blocks of the web. Prerequisites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, like Node.js, should I do like Node.js? Um, you know, right. What, what does that even mean, actually? Right. So, my, my it's, it's hard, I think, for beginners. Yeah. And especially because if you look back like years ago, um, when you started learning, once Photoshop was ubiquitous, um, like web design was pretty much uh, in schools, people would open up Photoshop and they'd start having at it. Oh, no. So the design education, I think, has become increasingly tool-based. And... Uh, web education is also really tool based. Right. That's, that's my issue is I think people, people will ask me questions. They say, which framework do I use? Not necessarily like, should I use a framework? You know what I mean? Like, it's like we, we, we default to tools, right? We, de we default to these very tangible, real things. I actually just gave a talk, uh, not that long ago in New York City. And I really love that this quote that's always like sort of stuck out in my mind. Uh, I, it's always attributed to, to Eleanor Roosevelt, but it's, uh, it's great, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Right. And, and as it turns out, it's uh, Henry Thomas Buckle that, that, that said that. And so like, I was like, that's, it's just such a fantastic way 
to, to sort of break that down. And so, so I sort of applied that to, to web design and I'm like, well, great minds discuss principles, average minds discuss technologies, and then small minds discuss tools, right? And I think that so much of the, the bickering, the back and forth, the uh, ember is better than angular and rah, rah, rah. It's like you could, you could have those arguments until you're blue in the face, but like really what are the principles that, that we should, we should be rallying behind, you know, like those, those initial principles of the web, you know, like accessibility, ubiquity, like all of that great stuff, right? Flexibility. Like those are the things that we should be rallying behind and, and the tools will sort of, you know, find their way, you know, given the, the, the appropriate, you know, principles to follow. But I think that so much of our, our, our headspace and, and our, our companies, you know, like our teams and all that stuff, like so much of the focus is on the tools that we really, we, we fall further and further away from, from the principles of the web that, you know, that was what really gives it you know, it's, it's amazing properties, you know, like that ability to access stuff from anywhere, like, you know, do, you know, complete a task, no matter what device you happen to be browsing on. I'm sure there, there are people listening that they're going to be thinking, honestly, old man, you know, either like keep up or, you know, or stop doing this. No. Oh yeah. That's even been said, uh, on, on Twitter about some people. (laughs) So we won't get into that, but okay, let's do that counter counter argument, right? Which tools are good. Um, the people who came up with all these frameworks and stuff like that are super, super smart, very clever people. And they solved specific problems with these tools and they're fantastic. Um, the, I think that's great. If you even like methodologies as well, all these CSS methodologies, uh, they've solved actual real world problems for very large organizations. Um, they're great. The problem is when you adopt uh, someone else's tool that they developed for certain types of situations and feel like you can apply that to every project just because you love it, like Andy loves his mug. Right, Andy really does love his mug. Yeah, I don't know whether you realise that I love my mug so much. I'm holding it now. I'm caressing it. In fact, I'm putting it to my lips, and it's I'm like taking the weirdest a, podcast. Ever. I'm taking a deep sip of its warm nectar. Okay. Oh. Anyway, um, yeah. But, so these tools are fantastic. And think about this: writing vendor prefixes, for example. Um, it's it's something that is. Uh, pretty much a waste of time. You know exactly which um, thing you want to write, <clears throat> but it's annoying to write all these things out, especially with things like gradients and stuff. And now, you know, a lot of us don't even worry about the prefixes for that. But if you have something like auto prefixer, I think it's a smart tool. Mm-hmm. Yep. The problem with the tool is when you use it, but you don't know what it's doing. Yes. Okay. So with a hammer, you know what it's doing because it does one thing and you're the person who's doing it. But when you have something that becomes like a black box. Right. You push a button um, and then you, something. You push a button and something happens. Right. Then you don't know uh, what's going on in the background. Yes. So when you, when you just install Auto Prefixer, for example, which is a great tool, you don't realize if you just use it what the settings are and what that's doing and which browser versions that's targeting. And you also don't know what vendor prefixes got put in, right? Mm-hmm. What, what properties, um, you know, call for vendor prefixes and what don't. Um, 
which database is used for it. So you have to know that it's based on the can I use uh, database. Sure. Uh, these are things that you can just read about. But you know how you just buy, you just go to the store, you buy something, and you don't read the manual, but you just start yeah. using it? Yeah. Um, and then you're, later on, you're like, well, um, how does this work? Like, it took me a while, like way, years back with the, um, I think, the second generation iPad, I guess. Um, how do I, uh, I didn't know you can, like, close apps by double pressing that that single button mm-hmm. on the device. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a button ha- now has a bunch of different facets to it because you could press it once, you could press it twice. You know, you can you can uh, you can swipe with two fingers or three fingers or four mm-hmm. fingers. Um, these are things that you have to know beforehand. And if you just start using a tool and you don't know that two fi- swiping with two fingers does something totally different than swiping with one finger, you might accidentally brush your finger and uh, alongside your first finger and then um, do something wrong. So the as the tools, um, even the simple tools, become have more things, uh, more complexity inside of them, um, you really have to know what you're using. And I think the investment that you that you make in learning those tools is one of the reasons why people tend to want to use them consistently on every single project because they have such a time investment in these tools. And and I think you touched on this and I think that you would agree. It's like it's it's not necessarily like everybody should read the manual for every like minor tool that they use, like you're saying, like with like auto prefixer and stuff. You just you generally need to know, understand why you would use such a tool, right? And then, like, if something were to go wrong, and if you were to, like, later on down the road, you're, you're cross-browser testing your, your app or whatever in a bunch of different browsers, and then you're like, and then you're like, oh, this isn't working in this environment, you might, you know, because you understand why you are using auto prefixer, you might go, huh, well, like maybe it's something with that. So maybe I need to sort of dive into, into that world a little bit. But I think that that's, that's really why I think understanding principles, understanding like the, 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 the fundamentals before you sort of get swept up in like tool, the, 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 you know, infinite <laughs> choice of tools out there knowing the the fundamentals and knowing the general principles of of you know good solid like you know resilient web design and development uh going into that infinite forest of tools with a good head on your shoulders and some solid principles to adhere to makes deciding which tools to adopt that much easier uh you know cuz you would understand why you would you know pick one of those tools up off the shelf and, and use them in your own work. Yeah. But then you have to kind of know all aspects of something before you make the choice. Like I, I have extreme choice anxiety about tools. Um, and I don't use either of these, but you want to like throw two weeks of your life away, d- go make a choice between foundation or bootstrap, you know, and I'm not, I don't use those. And I, I think they're great for like prototyping and stuff like that. But um, if you would have to like compare all these little parts, you'd have to read up on both of them, compare all these little parts to figure out which one would be the best tool for you. And uh, it's just, and those are only two of them. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's exhausting. And like today I got so frustrated because a client of mine has the, uh, um, has a team that developed a, an app and they used Ruby on Rails and they deployed it to Heroku. And 
you know, I know of Heroku, but I've never used it. Um, I know of Rails, but I'm not a Ruby uh, programmer. Um, so, but I have to, uh, now that they've built it, they want me to look at this design, um, which is the type of thing that, you know, all three of us have had to deal with in the past, but I need to get into the CSS, right? Um, so I need to be able to, to have this app run locally mm-hmm. or at least somewhere. Uh, but it's, it's just, I wanted to like, I wanted to just trash my computer. I was so angry <laughs> after I, I was up till three in the morning. Um, cause I'm like Heroku, get colon this, that, and I'm reading through these tutorials and, the developers are really helpful, but they're helpful in a way that developers who know a lot are. Mm-hmm. Um, they already know this stuff. So to them, it's just like, oh, just type that in. And I'm like, whoa, right. whoa, just. whoa, whoa. You know, just typing that in, just typing that in to me means that I have to read an hour of back, um, info, background information about what that thing that I'm typing in does. Um, because my system's slightly different than their system. You know what I mean? So it's just insane. Right. This goes back to the post that Brad mentioned earlier on, the one that I wrote from a few years ago, which was essentially this kind of assumed level of knowledge yeah. um, when it comes to using tools or understanding technical principles or you know computer science principles, whatever they may be. And I worry sometimes because... I think, you know, we, we, we're very, all of us very keen on using browser-based tools, particularly when it comes to the design process. So, you know, we've been saying for years about getting out of Photoshop or Sketch as quickly as possible because the real work goes on in the browser with HTML and with CSS. And I worry what, that we're making that process a little bit too complex because you know somebody will say oh well you know you can just kind of if you want if you want to like knock a few things together just use bootstrap you know the last time i I looked at bootstrap i felt like i was going back to university yeah you know the layers and layers and layers of things and it was impossible to unpick and i think if that's what we're teaching uh, or we're saying to designers look if you want to actually design in code pick up a framework like this and you know then it'll make it very easy for you to make stylish buttons i'm thinking holy hell we're all sunk yeah yeah and i i i, yeah. I actually well, not, trust yeah i don't think that that's what what people are saying it's job security <laughs> right well no i th- you know i think you know, there's, there's some real truth. And, you know, as someone that advocates for getting things into the browser quicker, it's, you know, it's, you're able to validate or invalidate an idea a lot faster. It's about using the right tools at the right, at, at the right time, you know, and sometimes that is sketch and Photoshop. Sometimes that is a napkin. Sometimes that is balsamic or Xure or whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, that I think that the, I think the general gist and I'm generalizing here is like, you know, Instead of sinking way too much time doing iteration after iteration in these abstractions, it's typically a good idea to get into the final working, you know, the the actual thing, uh, and sort of iterate there because that that's it's just like a more malleable, realistic place instead of doing like eighteen versions of a of a sketch comp. But but yeah, I do, I do think that there's like a real. Uh, a real danger in like like Stephen was talking about is like oh well yeah just use Photoshop or or just use Bootstrap for for coders or just use Angular and just use this and it's like it's it's very 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 dangerous to just sort of go around 
one saying that because, you know, not everyone is coming from the same background. Not everyone has, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the required background and stuff like that to understand why you would use such a tool. Um, and then you get into like sort of like a pretentious level, right? Where it's like, I have my opinions and I think that you should share those opinions. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, eventually, at, at, once you get to a high enough level, it becomes uh, like a preference in, in well, let's use Andy's mug as an example. Um, he likes a Bodum mug, and you might like a different brand of mug. And they're both mugs, you know, and they both might have their little intricacies or whatever, but uh, basically you're at the level of opinion. Yep on things that do pretty much the same yep. thing. No, they so don't a lot do the these... same thing. This mug is way better <laughs> than any other mug. All right, I'm never, I'm never, never using, using that, that again. again. But yeah, it, be, it becomes a matter of preference rather than a fundamental or like a principle sort of thing, you know? Yes. And, and, and I roll my eyes every time because Pattern Lab is, is written in PHP and Dave did a great job with it. And that's my background as well is writing, writing you know, PHP poorly, uh, you know, doing like WordPress sites and stuff. And people are like, Oh, uh, you know, oh my God, PHP. Oh, like you're such a loser. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and it and it really is like that. Yeah, that but that who says that? Like people, the, the JavaScript yeah, people? people. Yeah, and then people. and then you know the Ruby people say to the JavaScript people, "Oh my God, right. you wrote that in JavaScript." Right. And the Python people say to the Ruby people, "You wrote that right. in Ruby." Right. And and so it's it all a really coffee mug because the languages all, are yeah, just exactly. they're all coffee mugs. Exactly, they're gonna hold the your liquid. The thing that matters to me is what when when people starting off they need to know the difference between the fundamentals mm -hmm. and the the tools that are uh, almost the same, but there are some opinionated differences. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's a, a great um, I, I posted the I pasted the link. There's a great little uh, post by Zed Shaw. Um, called early versus beginning coders. And I think he kind of sums it up well um, that, you know, when people say that this is for beginners, uh, what they what they really mean are like early coders, uh, people who know something. Um, but there's a big difference between people who know something and people who know nothing at all. Mm -hmm. yet. And that's the dangerous part. So it's more of the educational thing. Like, the, I'm not worried about the people who use Angular at a very, very high level who are like, hardcore programmers or people who know everything about SAS, they know so much about it. Uh, their level is so, um, is so expert level that those aren't, that, you know, they have nothing to worry about. It's the people who just know enough to hurt themselves. Right. Those are the people right. we have to right. worry about. And I, and, and bringing this back to like simplicity and complexity, like whenever you have an entire generation of developers and designers thinking that these tools are prerequisites in order to like get things done. I think that that's really damaging because it's just going to like lead us down these like weird rabbit holes where instead of rallying together behind some really sort of core principles, you know, we're, we're just in like this sort of tools arm race, <laughs> arms race that's just going to, you know, like lead to, you know, spiral out of control and, and, you know, end up like locking people into these like different silos. It's, it just, it doesn't seem. I think an, an infatuation with tools isn't healthy for the for the long term health of the web as a community. 
but but they are cool. They're cool and they're helpful and and like you're saying if you know how to use them like if you're you know if you know why you would why why you would benefit from from implementing such a tool that's great. You know, but but again like there's there's this whole generation of people and again I get emails from these people all the time. University students, people that just graduated, they got their first job and stuff and they're like Brad like help. <laughs> like they're like help. Which yeah, framework yeah. should I learn? Which thing should I focus on and so on and so forth. And and my advice is 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 often, you know, take a step back, you know, learn the learn the fundamentals, you know, like learn HTML, CSS and JavaScript. Learn why there are these three languages and what their their respective like strengths are. Learn why you would do something in in one language and why you, you know, why JavaScript is for behavior and so on and so forth. And once you get your head around that, you know, and start playing around with, you know, your own personal site, maybe, you know, pick up like a, a minor pet project or, or contribute to something, you're going to start to find areas that you start gravitating towards, right? Like some people end up, you know, like Valhead's like a great example. It's like, you know, you get become this expert in like, you know, CSS and then it's like, oh, like this animation stuff is really cool. And so like that's now her, her jam, you know? And, and, and I think that, you know, sort of starting at that like very sort of foundational level, you know, growing with that. And whenever you get to a point wherever you could recognize like, oh man, you know, it would be so great if I could declare this, this like a variable or like call this thing once instead of having to copy and paste this hex value 27 times, you know, like that's, it's, it's whenever you get to that level that you're like, oh, okay, maybe there's something out there that might be able to help me. And I, and I, I just feel like people instead are getting tossed into the deep end and they're like, <clears throat> swim, <laughs> swim as fast as you yeah. can or you're dead. <laughs> Do you know, it's 10 years this year since I published my first book, if anybody ever remembers that. Congratulations. And it's just, yeah. yes, a long time. Um, and <clears throat> what book was that? That was Transcending CSS. Okay. Which, yeah, I'm sure one or two people may still remember. But that was Ted. My mom. My mom. Your mom still mom. has yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, she has a chair that's slightly shorter on one leg than another. And Transcending <laughs> CSS. You know, we're not allowed to use our moms as uh, examples anymore. Works really uh. well. But no, and, and, and it was five years until I wrote the next one. It's five years until I wrote Hard Boiled. And yeah, there were some new CSS properties that came along. And, you know, the browser had actually got better. You know, we, mm-hmm. we were still struggling with IE6, but at least things were moving when I wrote Hard Boiled. But fundamentally, the difference between 10 years ago and five years ago was actually not that much. You know, when we wanted to make something, we kind of made it with the same tools in the same way. And I've been reflecting recently on hard-boiled and how much has changed in those last five years. And boy, oh boy, you know, not only do we have a lot more tools in the broadest sense, you know, CSS properties that we can work with now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can do flexbox and filters and background blends and, you know, all of the stuff that kind of gets us excited. Mm-hmm. But what we make and how we make it has changed so radically just in those last five years. I mean, the change has just accelerated so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's difficult for a lot of people to come to terms with. And, and I, th- I really think that, you know, and as I've struggled with it myself is, you know, I keep looking for solid ground to stand on. (laughs) 
it's like it's just you know there's just so much it's again that that just like never-ending fire hose of stuff it's like what are those things i could hang my hat on right what are those what are those foundations what are those fundamentals that like i can i could you know plant my feet on and know that as the rest of the world changes, these things are actually like pretty good ideas. And I, and if all else fails, I could always come back to these things. This is from a workflow perspective. This is from a tools, a technology standpoint. And it's like, right, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Like, I'm just going to sort of focus there. You know, I'm just going to try to make sure I, I continue to have my head around that stuff. You know, from a from a workflow perspective, I'm, you know, not necessarily getting swept up in buzzwords and stuff like that, but rather be like, hang my hat on openness, honesty, transparency, communication with my clients and my colleagues and stuff like that. And just like, because it's just getting so damn crazy, I just, I, I, I'm not like going to live in a cave somewhere, but I'm just, again, just looking for that sort of solid ground to stand on rather than chasing some new GitHub repository that pops up like every two seconds, like a whack-a-mole game. You know what? Right. We should wrap it up. Well, if we didn't talk for 35 minutes about my... <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Listen, it could be worse. It could be worse. I could have talked about Planet of the Apes. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I'll accept the mug because it's your podcast. You get to have to, the mug. To, to, to be fair, I am going to buy yeah. one now. I, I didn't want to contribute to that part of the conversation, but... I am in desperate need for a good travel coffee mug, so I'm going to buy one. <laughs> and you will not be disappointed. Excellent. Well, it's good to have a, a good rec- recommendation for sure. We really should wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. So people can follow you. They should follow you, Brad, on Twitter. You are at Brad underscore Frost. Yep. Ah, damn the underscore. It's my middle name. Underscore dot JS. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? It's, it's, a a, like the, it's, a it's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Isn't something... Could you not separate it with a double underscore if you were going to be all kind of BM? Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a, you might as well just ta- tack another podcast onto this one if you're going to... It's a descendant a of Frost, <laughs> so therefore it's a, <laughs> it's a underscore underscore. Why don't we just go ahead and make it really complex? <laughs> And people should follow Stephen. He's at Stephen Hay. Stephen with a PH. He's at Stephen with a PH Hay. And you can follow me at Malarkey. And to ask questions or suggest topics, you can message this show on Twitter at unfinishedbz, or you can email me, he has, at unfinished.bz. And if you like the show, and if you drink coffee or tea, you could say thanks by buying a Bodum vacuum travel mug. I'll put a link in the show notes at unfinished.bz. See, it's a whole podcast about mugs. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Ah, oh, Daisy, you, see, you don't, you don't, you don't hear this talk about mugs on Shop Talk, do you? No, 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 no. Don't hear. No, you don't. And on uh, <laughs> on Jen Simmons' podcast, she never mentions uh, them. You don't, she never mentions mugs. No. no. I've not heard Jeffrey Zeldman mention. Mugs once on the big web show. No. No. Mark my words, this is a direction that I think is going to take off. <laughs>